0: I invite you I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter nineteen. It's found on page eight hundred and seventy eight in the Pew Bibles. You can also find it in your bulletin printed there on page eight. We'll be looking this morning at Luke chapter nineteen verses one through ten, and it's the story of Zacchaeus, but As you're turning there, I'd like to begin with a question, not controversial at all. Is it ever okay to invite yourself over to someone else's house? We've spent uh, many years, it feels like, telling our children many times that they're not allowed to do this, that this is a rude thing for them to do. And I think that's probably a pretty good rule to have as a child, Um, but it's a bit more complicated of a question, actually, isn't it? If you Google etiquette blogs, which there is such a thing, and some of you probably have them bookmarked already but um, if you Google etiquette blogs, you'll find that there are all kinds of factors to weigh when you determine if and how to invite yourself somewhere. And so it depends on your relationship with the person, it depends on what you're inviting yourself to, your history with them, their preferences. It can all get very complicated, very quickly. But in our passage this morning, Jesus invites himself over to someone's house. And so while I'm not telling all children that it's okay to do that all the time, we at least have to say it isn't always a sin. Um, Even though many times it may seem rude for us to do so, when we look this morning at Jesus' invitation into our lives, We realize that regardless of the rules of etiquette, it's really the greatest news of all. And so we'll see Jesus' invitation this morning as we consider his encounter with Zacchaeus. And we find that here in Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. And so let me read this passage, and then we will ask our Lord's help as we consider it this morning. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1. And when Jesus had come to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray and ask our Lord's help this morning as we consider his word. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would help us to see Jesus more clearly. Today, to understand more fully the wonder of the invitation that He extends to us. We pray that you would help us in the distractions that we face. With our weak and weary bodies, we ask that you would give us strength. With our hearts that are prone to wander, we pray that you would help us to have ears that hear and eyes that see your truth this morning. We ask that your spirit would help us. In all of these things, and we ask it for Jesus' sake. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, as we consider this passage this morning, we'll look at the story of Zacchaeus. We'll just kind of walk through the text, and then we'll see what it has to say about Jesus and about us uh, by way of three applications after we've considered it. So let's begin by noticing Zacchaeus' story here in the passage. Verse 1 tells us that Jesus is passing through Jericho. And where we are in Luke's gospel is Jesus has fixed his face toward Jerusalem, where he will suffer and die for the sins of his people. And so he is going there uh, to the holy city and seeking to arrive by Passover. And on his way, he passes through this city of Jericho on his way up to Jerusalem. But in Jericho, we're introduced to a striking character. Uh, We come to Zacchaeus' description there in verse 2. And it says, And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now this description right here really should give us pause because it's, it's two things that are really hard to fit into our minds. Zacchaeus is a Jewish name. Uh, He's of Jewish descent, and the name means clean or innocent. And so you encounter this man named Zacchaeus who's supposed to be clean and innocent, and yet it goes on to say about the most opposite of that name as you can get, he was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now, we know that tax collectors were despised in Jesus' day. Nate reminded us last week that people grumbled about the fact that Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners because tax collectors and sinners were people who made a living from sinning. Tax collectors were unclean to God's people because of their contact, consistent contact with Gentiles and for their conduct of being deceitful and stealing from their neighbor. But Zacchaeus here is not only a tax collector, he's a chief tax collector. And it's important for us to understand this tax collecting structure that took place in Rome in Jesus' day. It was a system that was called toll farming or tax farming. And the way that it worked could be described as this. Chief tax collectors, either individuals or groups of them, would submit bids to the government of how much money they could collect in taxes. They would bring this bid saying, hey, this year we can collect this amount of money from the people. And the government would hear those bids and they would choose one of those chief tax collectors and enter into contract with them. And then that chief tax collector would hire tax collectors underneath him. People like Matthew, the tax collector, who would then be in charge of actually getting that money from the people bringing it back to the company and presenting that to the government as they had contracted to do. And so when it says here, though, that Zacchaeus was rich, there's no question here about his ethical practices. Because he got the job, first of all, by having a high bid of what he could get from the people. And the only way he could become rich after bringing in such an exorbitant amount of money is by collecting even more, by oppressing the very people and the town in which he lived to bring in that money by charging them far more than they actually needed to pay. And so immediately as we encounter Zacchaeus, his description highlights for us his sinful status as an oppressor of God's people. But then it goes on to show us Zacchaeus's actions. And his actions really highlight for us another side of him. And that side is his shame. For some reason, Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was. The text doesn't tell us why. We can really only imagine. I, I would imagine that Zacchaeus had heard about this man who welcomed, this esteemed teacher who welcomed tax collectors and sinners. And I would imagine he wanted to see if he was different than everyone else Zacchaeus had ever encountered. But we come to verse 3. There's this crisis situation in his quest to see Jesus. It says, But on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small in stature. Now here we encounter something that's actually relatively rare in the Bible. We have a description, a physical description of one of the characters. And we find that Zacchaeus is actually small in stature. He's a shorter man. And this affects his ability to see Jesus. Now, when I typically think about this story, I frame it up in my mind as this is a height issue for Zacchaeus. But do you realize that this isn't really so much of a height issue as it is a crowd issue? Because short people could still come to see important people in a crowd all the time. If you were important, if you were esteemed, the crowd would let you see. But you see here, the crowd will not let Zacchaeus see because Zacchaeus is despised by the crowd. In fact, as we think about Zacchaeus' situation, being in crowds of people in the town where he was the chief tax collector was probably something he did not do. Not because he was too good for them, but probably because it was a very dangerous thing to do. Can you imagine if your family had been defrauded of their entire inheritance and finds themselves destitute, that that you are out in that crowd as one who's seeking to try just to make ends meet. And here among the crowd is this man who's shorter in stature, who you know is the head of all the reason for your poverty and pain, and you find yourself in the middle of a crowd of people who all hate him too. It's a pretty dangerous place for a short-statured tax collector to find himself. And so, um, because walking among the crowds was something Zacchaeus could not do lightly, there's another option for him to be able to see. He needs to get up higher, away and above the crowd. And that's what he did. And Zacchaeus's pursuit of Jesus here, of, of trying to see who Jesus was, is striking because he does two rather humiliating things. He runs ahead of the crowd And he climbs into a tree. No esteemed rich man would do either of those things. We learned last time in the parable of the prodigal son how men of stature don't run. It's a humiliating posture. Children and servants are ones who run to play and run to do errands. And men definitely don't climb trees because climbing trees is for children or it's for farmers and harvesters to do that menial labor not for established wealthy men but Zacchaeus sees climbing this tree running ahead and climbing the tree as the only way to see Jesus so he climbs up into what we come to find is a sycamore tree and a sycamore tree is a sycamore fig tree and when you think about fig trees what comes to mind Big green leaves, right? Low branches that you can climb on, but you're able to get up high enough. But then also they're covered with leaves. And so it's very likely that Zacchaeus was actually pretty hard to see in this tree, but he could find a spot where he could peer out and see Jesus as he would approach with the crowd. But while Zacchaeus is up in this tree because he is an outcast, Something happens to him that he would have never imagined. Jesus comes and extends to him a shocking invitation. Jesus comes to this place with the crowd and, and he looks up and he sees Zacchaeus and he speaks to him. Now, again, when I read this story, I hear, oh, Jesus sees Zacchaeus. Good. Something great's about to happen, right? We think this is good news. How do you think Zacchaeus would have felt being addressed by this godly rabbi who has come with a crowd? For Zacchaeus, this probably would have actually been terrifying. He's now caught. He's this wealthy cheater who's up in a tree, humiliated for all to see with no place to go. And this is Jesus' opportunity to make things right. This is Jesus' opportunity to confront this oppressor of the people in front of all. And what we would expect from a rabbi like Jesus is for him to look up and address Zacchaeus and say, Zacchaeus, you have betrayed your country and your God and your people by cheating them out of all of their money. Quit your job. Come down. Go to the temple. Purify yourself. And then come find me when you've cleaned up your life. And the crowd, how would they respond to this man who's raining down on their oppressor? They'd be delighted, wouldn't they? They would have a chance to yell out all of those things that they've wanted to say to Zacchaeus, but have only been able to post on Facebook or on Yelp about all the taxes that they're enduring. Instead, what does Jesus say? Hurry and come down, for I must go to your house today. Here, in his moment of shame, caught and exposed in this tree, Jesus invites himself into Zacchaeus' home. Jesus' travel plans completely change, and instead of passing through Jericho, he now will lodge the night in Jericho. And this is socially unthinkable to happen on a variety of levels. One is no one invites themselves in the ancient Near East into someone else's home. You wait for the host to do that to you. Jesus comes and addresses the host and says, I'm coming to your house. And then he also really lays out the requirements. I'm coming, and I'm going to lodge there, which includes a meal and spending the night. It's as though he's booking a night at an Airbnb right there on the spot and putting Zacchaeus up to it. And so it's socially unthinkable that Jesus would do this. But even more significantly, it's morally unthinkable that Jesus would do this. Because by going to the house of one of the most notorious sinners in town, Jesus would be bearing Zacchaeus' status. He would be taking on the status of a chief tax collector. He would become ceremonially unclean on his way to Passover. And so we see how shocking this whole invitation is by the crowd's response it's likely that here a change of scene happens, right? It's very truncated in the narrative, but Zacchaeus comes down, receives Jesus with joy. Jesus goes to his house, and then probably at some point, perhaps over dinner, which would be hours long, we learn of how the crowd is reacting to this entire situation. Verse 7 tells us, And when they saw it, they all grumbled, He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. We've seen that the religious elite, the Pharisees, have this complaint. Jesus dines with sinners, and that offends the religious mind. But here, Jesus has done something so offensive that the entire crowd disapproves of his behavior. But in contrast to their grumbling over Jesus' radical invitation, we now see Zacchaeus' response. We see Zacchaeus' transformed response. Up until now, everything we've heard about Zacchaeus has either been a description or his actions. He runs ahead and he climbs and he hurries and comes down and receives with joy. Now we hear for the first time from Zacchaeus' lips what his time with Jesus has done to him. Do you see what he says there in verse 8? And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus now, having received Jesus, stands and speaks to him. And did you notice that he calls him Lord Not just rabbi or teacher, but it's a sign of the faith that Jesus has as he calls him Lord when he, or that Zacchaeus has in Jesus as he calls him Lord when he addresses him. He's a changed man. And because he's a changed man, he says he will give half of what he has to the poor. It's as good as done. Now, if you've been reading along in the Gospel of Luke, you may come to this and say, wait a minute, half? Back in chapter 18, there's this rich young ruler, and Jesus says, give all that you have to the poor. Is Zacchaeus just trying to hold out for himself? I mean, half of a lot is still a lot (laughs) that Zacchaeus could hold on to here. Well, no, he's not just trying to claim it for himself. He needs to keep that other half because what is he going to do with his money now? Everyone whom he's defrauded, he will go and make restitution. He will repay it now fourfold from what he took from them. That repaying fourfold, it's, it's the highest amount that would ever be required in any Jewish or civil court for what you have obtained through stealing. Zacchaeus is saying, I stole this and I will repay it in a way that's above reproach and shows all that I have done wrong. And so this is no small token gesture. This is a complete change in how Zacchaeus viewed his very wealth itself. And then Jesus goes on to now speak to Zacchaeus and to everyone around who's listening to make sure that they understand what has taken place. Verse 9 says, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It's as though Jesus is saying, make no mistake about what you have just seen here. This house that was marked by sin and uncleanness is now today the site of salvation. This son of Abraham, whom you all had written off because he's a chief tax collector, and a lost cause. He now has been found by the Son of Man who came to seek and to save Abraham's lost children. And this story of Zacchaeus ends here. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but instead he comes to find out that he had been found by Jesus himself. You see, Jesus invited himself into Zacchaeus' home. And Zacchaeus received him and was a changed man as a result. It's a beautiful story, isn't it? Zacchaeus has become one of my favorite characters. I've been singing a song about him all week that is really hard to get out of my head. Um, but hopefully we can set that aside for those of us who are thinking about the wee little man. Um And we can pause to consider in the face of the beauty of this narrative what it teaches us about Jesus and what it teaches us about ourselves. And the first thing that we see by way of application is that Jesus invites us, sorry, Jesus invites himself into our sin and our shame. What I've come to love about this story is is how Zacchaeus doesn't fit neatly into a category, especially if you're reading through the Gospel of Luke. He's rich and he's a ruler. And as you read through the Gospels and hear Jesus teaching, those are two strikes against you. It's usually not very good for rulers because they use their power in wrong ways. And it's definitely not good for the rich because they trust themselves and their wealth. Jesus has just said in chapter 18, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And so you come to Zacchaeus and he's rich and he's a ruler. He has sinned and he has oppressed other people. But he's also a tax collector. And what has Jesus been saying about tax collectors and sinners? His heart runs to them. He goes to them to seek and to save them because they're outcasts and experience great shame. And we find Zacchaeus here as one who can't even normally walk among the crowds. He's an outsider to society and he's an outsider to God. And Zacchaeus is this complicated figure of someone who's both an oppressor and who finds himself oppressed. And I think what I've come to love about Zacchaeus is the more I look inward and consider my own life, the more I contemplate my own actions, the more I talk together with you and other people, and we come to see just the complexities of who we are, we realize that we are a tangled web of both sin and shame, of living in a fallen world. We are those who sin against others as we run after our idols and we we hurt others in the process. But we also experience shame because of what we have done and how that alienates us from God and others. And when we see Zacchaeus there in that tree, I want to know, and maybe you want to know, how does Jesus deal with a man like this? Because we want to know deep down, how does Jesus deal with a person like me? And in Zacchaeus, we find the chief of this complexity. And we find Jesus engaging him in an amazing way. He invites himself into Zacchaeus's sin and shame. Think about what it was like for Jesus as he saw Zacchaeus hiding there in the tree. He comes up with the crowd, and he looks up, and he sees him in a fig tree. And I can't help but think that that imagery was not lost on Jesus, right? The irony of the situation. You have Zacchaeus, whose name means what? Clean and innocent. And what is he doing? He's hiding among the fig leaves, just like Adam and Eve did after they had sinned, when they were unable to draw near any longer to the presence of God. And Jesus does this unthinkable act as he looks up at him in his sin and shame. Jesus invites himself into his home. I must stay at your house today. You see, Zacchaeus' complicated mess of a condition was not too much for Jesus. Jesus would call Zacchaeus to come down from his tree of sin and shame because Jesus was heading to Jerusalem where he would be lifted up on a tree for Zacchaeus. Jesus would be condemned by the crowds of both Jews and Gentiles to die the death of the chief of sinners. Not because of his sin, not because he'd ever hurt or cheated anyone. But because he was bearing Zacchaeus' sins, because he was bearing his people's sins on a cursed cross, so that every child of Abraham could be found in him, not just those of Jewish descent, but everyone who would receive Jesus with joy. Do you find yourself feeling like you're hiding in a tree of sin and shame this morning? cut off from God and others because of your sin? Jesus is inviting himself into your life today. Receive him, welcome him, and he will save you. Maybe as a believer, you continue to see the complexity of your, of your own sin and shame Maybe you think that it's too much for Jesus. This passage reminds us he can handle it. And he invites himself in to help with all the messiness that you find in your house. And so Jesus is one who invites himself into the messiness of our sin and our shame. But then this story shifts from the beauty of God's radical seeking grace to the response of one who has been found. Uh, And the second thing that we see is that Jesus' invitation changes us. Jesus' invitation into our homes, into our lives, brings change. In Zacchaeus' story, we gain the perspective of what it's like to be the one who was found. Remember in Luke 15 where we hear these parables about what was lost and the father's heart in finding them. But the lost coin, the lost sheep, they don't say anything in those parables. And we hear very little from the lost son. But with Zacchaeus, we see the change that happens when Jesus finds one who was lost. And we notice two things about his life, his changed actions and his changed heart. Think with me for a moment about his changed actions. They they show us what God does to a person who has been found. It says in verse 8, He stood and said to the Lord, Half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. I just want us to notice three things about this change that has come across Zacchaeus, because I think it depicts for us three Indicators of repentance in the life of someone who's come to Jesus. The first thing that we see in his changed action is that it was for the Lord. Zacchaeus addresses Jesus as Lord, not the crowd. Zacchaeus was changing, not primarily to get a result from the people. He couldn't control the people's response, but he was changing for Jesus because of who Jesus was and what Jesus was doing for him. And so the first thing that we see is this change was for the Lord. But secondly, we see this change was costly. He would get half of his income to the poor and repay fourfold. He's not looking for the bare minimum of change just to get by. He's seeking to make restitution for what he has done that goes beyond reproach. And it shows these great lengths that he's willing to go. Why? Because he realizes how serious his sin is and how much harm his sin has caused to other people. And so repentance shows he's willing to make it right as much as he is able. It was costly to him. And then thirdly, we notice that his change, his repentance, was a process Verse 8 is really short, isn't it? Stands up, says something, then we move on to Jesus' words. And it can make us think that this was done very quickly. But in reality, making restitution with those he had defrauded would be a long, ongoing endeavor on the part of Zacchaeus. He would have to pour over his books and search his mind to consider who he had harmed. And how he had harmed them. And then he would have to go through the process of seeking to make it right as far as he was able. He'd be reaching out to those he had harmed, some probably not even yet ready to talk to him because of what he had done. He would have to see the faces of those who were now wallowing in poverty because he had stolen their money years ago. And he would hear the stories of the pain that he had caused. Over what he had done to them. Some may be ready to receive his help with joy, others would spurn his supposed change of heart. But he was committed to the process of changing, of repenting, of making it right. And this is what Zacchaeus wanted to do because Zacchaeus had been changed by Jesus. We see Zacchaeus' actions, and we could turn that into a checklist of what to do or what not to do. But the main point of this is Zacchaeus is doing these things because Jesus has changed his heart. And we see that even more clearly when we consider the contrast that's happening here between two types of rulers. There's a ruler in chapter 18, the rich ruler who came to Jesus And what was his question to Jesus? Teacher, what must I do? He came to Jesus not hiding in a tree. He came to Jesus thinking that he was already righteous. And Jesus raised his core issue of this idolatry of money. And the rich ruler ruler went away sad. But here is Zacchaeus. He's seeking to see who Jesus was. He's hurrying and coming down and receiving Jesus with joy. And after spending time with Jesus, he stands up not to ask Jesus, what must I now do? But he stands up because his heart has been changed by Jesus and he wants to tell Jesus what he will do as a result. Do you see how different that is? Ken Bailey says that when we think about repentance, part of what Zacchaeus' story tells us is this, that repentance could be described as the acceptance of being found by Jesus. Accepting in our hearts what it truly means to be found by Jesus. You see, Zacchaeus had been searching for something that would satisfy him something that would make sense of this life, something that would make it work. And for Zacchaeus, what was it? It was money. But now, having spent time with Jesus, he realized that what he really needed would only be found in Jesus. And being found by Jesus changed him. And it changed him from being one who was grasping after money to one who was now giving from one who was using others for his own gain to one who could now selflessly give because Jesus had changed his heart. As I think about this as believers, as people who have come to Jesus and accepted his invitation to salvation, the question that it raises for me, and I think for us, is how often do we start to to flip it after salvation and go about change the wrong way? How often do we then approach Jesus like the rich ruler saying, Jesus, what must I do to get your blessing? And we go away sad because we framed it all wrong, framed it up all wrong from the very start, haven't we? Instead, it's coming to Jesus saying, how does the fact that Jesus has found me change me in this struggle? What is it that you are seeking to change in yourself today? What is your besetting sin or perhaps your source of shame? Is it your fear or your pride? Is it the way you run to food or drink to satisfy you? Is it this lust that you just can't seem to control or a tongue that just seems to continually be getting you into trouble and hurting other people? How has the fact that Jesus has found you and that all that you need and are searching for is found in him, how does that change your heart to then change the things that you struggle with? Because do you see that If we instead of coming saying, what do I do, but instead come to receive his invitation, what does Jesus do? He shows us the Father's love. And we come to see that everything that we need is truly found in him. We no longer have to grasp those other things, which frees us up to then use them for others' good. When Jesus comes into our home, part of what he does is enables us to stand and say, Lord, use my life for others' good and for your glory. Jesus' invitation enables you to change for him in costly, enduring, and not yet perfect ways. And so the question that we have as believers as we think about the complexities of our lives is are we coming to Jesus for change and for help to change? Because a lot of times we approach this backwards. And this doesn't only affect our sanctification, which is what we've just been talking about in point two. Our final application is how this affects how we call others to faith. You see, Jesus calls us To extend his invitation to others. Think about the order of this story for a moment. Zacchaeus was full of sin and shame, hiding in a tree. Jesus invites himself in, and then Zacchaeus is saved and changed. Just as that order is significant in our sanctification. That order is significant in our calls to faith. How often in our mindset as believers who have become used to this gospel message is our call to the unsaved backwards? (laughs) It's change, and then Jesus can invite you and save you. In thinking about Zacchaeus, I've really become convicted over my posture towards others. And part of what this story does is it it shows us that a lot of times our posture towards the lost is much more like that of the crowds. As Jesus is coming into Jericho, the crowds are annoyed by someone who's there. Do you know who that was? It's the blind beggar who's calling out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowds annoyed at him and they rebuke him. But then Jesus welcomes him. Here the crowd is annoyed and disgusted by Jesus' reaction to this chief of sinners. How often is our response like that of the crowd, that there are categories of people that Jesus doesn't really want to deal with, whether that's the low and the, the despised or that, whether that's the rich and the wicked, whomever that may be, it's categories of people that we tend to want nothing to do with. And as I think about my own heart and how this comes out, one of the ways that I see it is in my indifference, that there are categories of people that I can almost not even notice as I go through life. It's like it would be white noise for that blind beggar to be calling out because we're so focused on other things. I I see it in my indifference and I can hear it in my tone. There are categories of people and comments can come out of people who struggle with sins that are sins other than the respectable sins that we all tolerate within here, right? We say different things and we do different things and we use non-church words and we struggle with different things. And so do you see what happens in that? we start to feel that our job is to manage Jesus' invitations for him. <laughs> that our job is to go out and find people and to let them know the good news. Here's a list. Change these things and good news, Jesus will save you. When that's completely the opposite, Zacchaeus' story shows us that Jesus' transforming power and presence is enough for any house that he encounters. And it's not our job to go out and to tell people how they must clean themselves up to meet with him. Instead, it is to extend his invitations freely to all who would want to see him. We began by thinking about the etiquette of inviting ourselves into someone's home. I can tell you it's not always the polite thing to do probably not always a rude thing to do. But as Christians, what we see in this story is Jesus changes us into people who invite ourselves into other people's lives, not in a rude or pushy or unwise or unloving way, but in a way that resembles Jesus' invitation to Zacchaeus. That we come to people who are hiding in their fig trees wondering if they'll ever get a glimpse of anyone different than all the rest. And we show them love that they have never seen. And we're able to tell them of news that they have never heard. That there's a man who came from heaven to come to their house, to seek and to save them, just like he did for us. May we never, as God's people, forget the wonder of the fact that Jesus has invited himself into our lives so that we can be with him as a part of his house forever, only by his grace. And so let's pray and ask our God to help us with these things. Our Father in heaven, we find ourselves amazed, at the love you have in seeking and saving the lost. We find ourselves surprised by the shocking invitation that Jesus extends. We find ourselves aware of our own sin and shame and how overwhelmed we often feel by it. And we confess that so often we look around at the world around us and we fail to see the shame and sin that they're experiencing that our Lord Jesus invites himself into. Will you refresh us again with the wonder of this invitation? Will you strengthen our faith to believe that you can handle all of these things? And will you fix our eyes on the hope that is to come when all of our sin and shame will be experienced no more? We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.